0: Wait, wait, wait. See what that woman just did? You see that? Why, she's cold. She got colder as soon as she saw us, though. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, what's the difference between a rude comment and outright hate speech? How do we know when someone
1: is committing a microaggression?
0: There's gonna be some things that you're gonna be able to get that other people in the office don't get. One of them, gym membership.
2: You want me to lose weight? The way the world is, how unpopular Vietnam was, I'm not
0: Vietnamese, I'm American. We got another notice from the fire department saying mm-hmm.
1: we have to clear out the bush. You said you were gonna get Jose to do it. He here regarding it, where are you don't thinning? Lucy, you know I
3: don't speak Mexican. Hey, hey, Sa, how can the brothers on a wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place, you can do what you wanna do.
0: How much harm do microaggressions do? Our
1: guest is Lauren Freeman from the University of Louisville. Microaggressions. Coming up on Philosophy Talk.
0: Can subtle slights cause serious harms? Are microaggressions in the eye of the beholder? Or are they a way to keep certain groups in their place? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Accept your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you via the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Sanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative.
1: Today, we're thinking about microaggressions.
0: Microaggressions. So that's when somebody makes like an offhand remark or, or, or some minor action that insults other people because of their, their race, gender, sexuality, that kind of thing, right? Right. But they don't always look like insults. In fact, sometimes the person committing
1: the microaggression thinks they're paying the other person a compliment.
0: That's interesting. So, So how does a compliment end up being a microaggression?
1: Well, like, for example, if you tell an Asian American that they have excellent English or a black person that they're extremely articulate, that might sound like a compliment to you, but it's actually quite demeaning.
0: Right. I mean, if someone was born and raised here in the States and grew up speaking English, I mean, that's obviously a ridiculous compliment. That, that, that's just ignorance, right? Uh, but, but let me press you a little bit. Uh, what what would be wrong with describing somebody as articulate or well-spoken, whatever their race? I mean, isn't that a, a compliment anyone would like? Well, well, sure, Josh. If If someone tells you that you're
1: articulate, they're probably not implicitly contrasting you with other Brits. They're not treating you like some anomaly that needs to be pointed out. Ooh, the surprisingly articulate Englishman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, I see your point. I I, I totally get it. That sometimes people use those fake compliments that are really insults. So that, that that's not good at all. But but aren't there also genuine compliments sometimes? I mean, I, I feel like sometimes people are are trying to be nice. They 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 don't intend to demean any group or anything like that. So so why would we call that a microaggression rather than just like a, a compliment that went wrong?
4: Well,
1: because when it comes to microaggressions,
0: your intentions are not really what's important.
1: It's the impact that really matters.
0: Yeah, okay, so, so I see the point about it, the impact being the thing that matters, but should we totally sideline intentions? I mean, are we going, for example, to condemn people for things they said even if they didn't mean anything bad by them because they caused a negative impact? Well, if you cause harm to somebody who's already marginalized and oppressed,
1: you kind of need to take responsibility for that. You don't get a pass for being
0: racist or sexist or ableist or homophobic just because you weren't trying to be. Oh, I mean, I totally agree that you can intend to do something nice but mess up and still cause harm. And, and then, yeah, okay, right. Responsibility is going to attach. but. Doesn't attention still matter at least a bit? Like, let's say I I tread on your foot on purpose. Well, in a case like that, clearly I'm being a jerk, right? But if I accidentally tread on your foot, I'm just being a klutz. And that's at least a little bit less awful, isn't it? Okay, but
1: what if I'm standing in a certain place because I'm part of a marginalized group? And that makes it really likely that people are going to step on my toes when I stand there should I feel better that none of them intended to hurt me? What if it keeps happening over and over again?
0: Hmm. Okay, that that's a really great point. But still, I feel like, isn't it a little bit different from the case that I had in mind? So I was thinking of just like a, a one-off situation involving a genuine compliment, or at least a genuine attempt at a compliment, rather than a repeated pattern of abuse.
1: Right, but microaggressions are a part of a larger pattern of discrimination. Like people of color being asked where they're really from. One of many things that makes them feel like if they're not white, then they don't belong here.
0: Okay, yeah, I mean, I totally see why that would be exhausting and infuriating. I mean, hearing that every single day, that would be the worst. I'd really like to think that we can educate the next generation, at least, to stop being so crass and thoughtless and hurtful.
1: Yeah, I'd like to think so too, but it's not just a matter of education. It's not like people are just unaware of what they're doing and if they realize they'd stop doing it. I mean, microaggressions serve a function. They reinforce social hierarchies and they keep marginalized people in their place.
0: Huh. Well, gosh, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, they're definitely harmful and they're definitely bound up with systemic injustice, but are they really deliberate weapons? Well, maybe our guest will be able to convince you. We're going to be joined by Lauren Freeman from the University
1: of Louisville. She is co-editor of a new book called Microaggressions in Philosophy, and she's also writing a book about microaggressions in clinical medicine, so I'm really looking forward to what
0: she has to say. Me too. I've read her stuff and found it absolutely brilliant. But first, we sent our roving philosophical reporter Shireen Adel to find out what it feels like for people who experience microaggressions, and what one organization is doing to help us identify, address, and avoid committing them. She files this report.
4: So I have this friend. Her name is Yomna Osman. She's a curator who lives in Oakland, but originally she's from Egypt. And since she moved out here, people
3: can never seem to get her name right. I mean, in California, less than on the East Coast.
4: What do they say?
3: Either what or Yoma or Yona or they just can't say it and they keep asking me to repeat it over and over again.
4: We thought about it and were left wondering, is that a microaggression? So we looked it up. Oxford Languages says it's a statement, action, or incident of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group. It's so ambiguous.
3: There's something tiny that might be a mistake, but might not. The name thing kind of does fit.
4: Yomna says for her, microaggressions are these tiny
3: things that you get used to, but over time, they can cause harm. It's definitely frustrating, and it immediately makes me feel like I'm out of place. And it becomes really wonderful when I meet people or when I'm in contexts where people don't stumble on my name.
4: She knows it's not intentional, and she doesn't get upset when people get it wrong. But it makes a difference when it doesn't happen.
3: I think everyone likes to feel seen quickly. And I think feeling different makes that a little bit harder and forces people to have to explain themselves. And I think microaggressions have a lot to do with that feeling unseen or misunderstood and feeling like you have to do a lot of translation work for other people.
4: And it can make a big difference when other people help her do that work.
3: Like I was in a meeting once and someone stopped the meeting to be like, um, you're all saying her name wrong, and that felt great, like I sent her a thank you email, uh, just a note on the side.
4: That action that Yomna's coworker took, there's actually an organization that teaches people how to do that, to step in and show support when they notice a microaggression, or something worse. It's called training active bystanders, or TAB for short. Here's training coordinator Beryl Domingo. Our training is really
2: to empower people to assess a situation, to assess what is the action that's really needed in a situation.
4: Beryl is based in Massachusetts, but the group has been doing the trainings online all over the country and even in Canada. We focus on
2: the fact that we all probably are harm doers at some time or another, and
4: immediately that kind of makes the playing field level. I actually went to a training session, but I couldn't record it out of respect for people's privacy. They asked us if someone had ever done harm to us, if we'd ever caused someone else harm, and if we'd ever witnessed harm being done to someone else, even if unintentionally. Everyone raised their hand to every question.
2: We also really focus on nonviolence. The language that we use is not a violent language, for example, it's about targets and harm
4: doers instead of you know victims and bullies. It's not one size fits all, but the training teaches people how to be more alert and aware when harm is happening so that we can respond when we see it. There are all kinds of things that prevent us from taking action. The TAB trainers call them inhibitors.
2: Some of them are when you are simply not seeing the harm. Or for example, when we're feeling fearful of making a fool of ourselves, or might embarrass ourselves, or we might do something wrong. That's
4: another inhibitor. Beryl herself actually found the group after something happened in her town that disturbed her. There was a couple at the post office who appeared to be from the Middle East. The woman was wearing a hijab. And one of the customers
2: began to harass this couple by calling them names and basically saying, they they probably have a gun. We should be careful, these people are dangerous. The people in line didn't know what to do. Basically froze and just stood there letting this happen.
4: Not long after, Beryl heard about the
2: bystander training. It's really an empowerment training and the understanding is that people will be more vigilant and willing to step up and
4: intervene. It's all about learning that no matter how big or small, there's always something you can do to make someone else feel seen. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shireen Adel.
0: Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.